so the foundation of um, this series has been it through 2 Corinthians in the chapters 8 and 9. Um, and we've talked about it, it's, it's about an offering, which is a church word for a donation. And this particular donation uh, that 2 Corinthians is talking about is a famine relief for Jerusalem. Paul, who's kind of an important figure in the New Testament, um, and he's the guy who helped start the Corinthian church, as well as the churches where he's writing from in Macedonia. Well, he's the one um, gathering, or he's kind of the, uh, the fundraiser head for this relief uh, fund. That's what it's all about. And so in some sense, it's a really kind of simple text. It's a story about and a letter to people who had pledged money and haven't given it yet. But in another sense, it actually gives us the foundation of all that God has given us and how we give and steward that money. In the middle of the fairly, fairly long passage for us, um, not for other cultures and churches, but for us, um, there is this phrase I uh, read to the kids about this cheerful giver. So I want you to listen to that, but I also want you to listen to how the whole thing ends as well. So here now, the word of God that was given to you in love. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now it is superfluous. I said it right in the first service. For read to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boasted about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that the Achaia, Achaia, which is the Corinthian region, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending you the brothers from Macedonia, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some of the Macedonians show up and come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated in our boasting to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that you may be ready as it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction or extraction or taxation. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, and now he quotes Psalm 112, which is um, indirectly about Jesus. It's not really about Jesus. It's about what happens when grace transforms you, and it talks about this man. It says, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, the people who receive it, they will glorify God because of your submission, your obedience, your walking in the paths that come from your confession, your declaration of the gospel of Christ. 
and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. While they long for you, they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then it ends, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. We're on the fifth of six sermons about giving, uh, and we've talked about treasure and talents and making space at your table. I know you might be visiting and think, oh my gosh, this is another church talking about money. It's actually not our kind of deal. This is the second sermon series total in the 11 and a half years I've been here on giving or generosity. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. One, we don't want to be a church that's um, doing that all the time. And if I neglect to get a haircut about two weeks late, then my hair goes real pre televangelist preacher on you. And I didn't want that to be confusing or a trigger for you at any time either. What is a cheerful giver that the Lord speaks of? God loves a cheerful giver, but what, what is it? You guys have heard some really bad sermons on this passage? Um, and they usually revolve around this word that is translated cheerful. It's the only time it happens in the, in the, um, in the scriptures. It's from the word, Greek word hilaros, which is derived where eventually it gets derived into what we call hilarity or hilarious. And it'll say something like, God wants you to give like with some type of um, hilarious bliss in giving. And if you don't, then you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm totally missing the whole thing. You feel guilty for the struggle and not feeling that way. The word here actually is really well translated. It just kind of means cheerful, happy to give, desiring to do it, thought through, excited about it. God loves it when we desire to give, when we're happy to give, when we're cheerful givers. But how do, you, how do you see this happen in us? What does it look like? And, it, and Paul does three things with it. One is that we would be a willing giver. Paul's sending his friends to pick this thing up from, from Corinth um, uh, for, the, for the relief. And he says that we know your readiness to do this. He wants them to get their offering in order so that, that it may be ready as a willing gift. Not an as exaction or a taxation. There's nothing wrong with taxes. There's only things wrong with what you do with your taxes. But this is trying to get out of that realm. And Paul says this right before, it says this right before the cheerful giver phrase. Each one of us to give as is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. A cheerful giver is one who gives willingly. He's happy to give. Not guilt-tripped into it or manipulated. Not half-hearted in it either but happy to give. That's also because a cheerful giver is not just this uh, willing giver, but a deliberate giver, a thoughtful giver. That first part, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. There has been deliberation about it. Go on ahead. I got them to come on ahead to arrange in advance for the gift that you had promised. You've already thought through. I'm going to take a quick break now because um, of I think it's really interesting to hear the, the, the economy of the way uh, people, the people of God had dealt with their kind of willing and deliberate giving in the Old Testament, and certainly at this time for the Jews in the New Testament as well. There's the whole economic system that was both willing and deliberate, and I'll say sacrificial as well. It was, um, and I want you to hear this just because I want to encourage you um, about our ancestors, our, our, our spiritual ancestors as they did this work. And here's how it worked. There were things called tithes. 
That is a word that means tenth. I went and studied Hebrew in seminary so I could give you that little nugget. There was three tithes, actually. One was the Levite tithe or the Levitical tithe. It was for the Levites who uh, oversaw worship and organized it all. Everything from uh, Sabbath gatherings and preps to synagogue planting, the equivalent of church planting. It was, uh, it was for church staff, prepared, you know, preparing for worship, musicians, ACs, the AC, the mic cords getting worked, the uh, goldfish, all that stuff. That's what they used it for in the ancient Near East. Then they had this thing called the festival tithe, which was the party tithe. 10% of your income went to celebrate. That was the job. Think about that. All the celebrations and meals and feast days that Israel would have, you would save a portion of that so that you could come to those places with, with, full, and, uh, with full bounty to share with others. That's our connect hours, our Wednesday night gatherings in the summer, Palm Sunday this coming uh, in just a few weeks uh, um, with a donkey, which is awesome. The feast that we do, yes, blow up slides. And good food were to be prepared for as an offering. And it's all expensive, but in the economy of, of God's people, it was, it was not excessive. God's people have gathered a lounge to bask in God's grace, to lounge in his goodness and feast over his welcome and his provision. The last tithe was a tithe that you did every three years. So it's really 3.33% every year. So it was a tithe for every three years. And that was for what called alms or for the poor. That's what the guy, what, 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 uh, what uh, Psalm 112 is talking about when it talks about that guy. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. It's talking about that tithe. The church has always had an obligation, a sense uh, to assist those who are suffering without food or shelter or who are widowed or who are um, unable to provide for themselves. And this, yes, is our local engaged team and our deacons fund and the Hawthorne House and um, those were the kind of the standard tithes. 23% of your income. It means that eight, that's what a faithful Israelite would do. And then there were the deliberate, uh, the deliberate offerings the, 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 when needs came up or you had excess. And that is exactly, whether it was communal or individual, that is what Paul's talking about now back to chapters 8 and 9 of Corinthians. And this was this church-wide offering that was willing and deliberate. There's one more thing in 8 and 9 you see is that it's not just willing and deliberate. It is sacrificial as well. Remember, I told you Paul's writing from Macedonia, and a couple weeks ago I talked to you about how poor Macedonia was. It was actually this amazing um, empire, really. And when Rome came in, it, 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 they crushed it. And um, economically but, uh, uh, and politically, it was kind of in a free fall at this point when Paul came to plant these churches. Corinth, on the other hand, was a... a, a busting city. It was wealthy and famous. But, the, but you see, the Macedonians knew of a Savior and heard of the Savior that gave himself sacrificially to them. Paul says they didn't just give according to their means, but beyond their means. And I told you a couple weeks ago that they actually, these people who were really, truly could have been beggars, definitely some in the church that were, actually begged Paul to help them participate in the famine relief for Jerusalem. They weren't begging for money for themselves, they were begging for money to give away. By sending these Macedonians to Corinth, he's not trying to shame them. 
He's trying to show them a different way with people who've seen and believed in a different way that they didn't have to be stingy with their money, that they, that they could show them something different about what generosity and what planned, willing, um, deliberate, and sacrificial giving was. So that their hearts would be open and maybe their purse strings as well. This is why Jesus celebrates the widow's mite. It ain't a lot of money. It's sacrificial giving. And he, gets, he receives it with great honor. There's just something about the king and his kingdom that we follow in Jesus that, that sacrificial is part of it. That we give up our, of our, for, from ourselves to, for the sake of others, all in reflection of who God is. This is why Paul later writes, he was in the form of God. He did not count equality of, with God something to be grasped. He didn't hold tight to it. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by become, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How do you spot a cheerful giver? Willing, deliberate, sacrificial, glad to do it. So go. You got it. Here are the rules. Go for it. That's crazy. There's something else that is the motivating, the power, the reality, the, the generative force behind this kind of giving. And that's what I want to talk to you in the second half about. And you know I'm going to say it. It's grace and the gospel that becomes joy. Grace to others. I want you to think about this. Everything that you've been given, part of it is so that you can give grace to others. For the ministry, ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's not that you're just dealing with the immediate need. You're, you're giving them space for gratitude and worship in it. Don't get me wrong. Cheerful giving supplies the needs of the people who receive it. Please don't us underestimate the fact that we raised somewhere between twenty dollars and $30,000 over the last few years for uh, Run Against Hunger for, um, for the Second Harvest Food Bank. Bellies get filled. When we give $150,000 of our budget away every year, it is to meet real needs. When we, you gave countless clothes to more elementary, when we support RUFs at Wake and Winston-Salem, it supplies real needs or gives real time for the gospel to come forth, for grace to come forth. And we can be cheery about that. We can get really cheery about that. But it's more important to see that it actually overflows to those who receive it. Uh, and, and as they receive these gifts, they are now opened up space for relationships with God and worship of him. All for them to see the kind of God that we have full of mercy. To abound in thanksgiving to Jesus, Paul says. To experience his unmerited kindness, his love. But here's the trick in the economy of the kingdom. It's not just grace to others. It's grace to us or grace for us. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Something about our giving actually brings grace back to us. It results in a surpassing grace as we've been sufficiently provided for. It fuels our every good work. 
in the economy of the kingdom, I see it in kind of two different ways. Um, first, cheerful givers realize something, that everything they have is unmerited. Everything that you have is unearned, uh, unearned earnings. It accounts for everything in either your account or your portfolio or hidden under the mattresses. And that realization makes it clear that, that it's all borrowed money. It's all not ours. It's ours to give and to share and so that we can give it away. And it's a grace to behold when your hands become less con, uh, tied to it so tightly and that, they can be, that you can give it up freely. And it motivates us. The other side of that is that, that I don't know if you know this, but you know, it's not new to Jesus' time or ours, um, but money can be a problem called an idol for us. Money and status. Actually, Jesus calls it mammon, which is personifying, making it a person, and that mammon acts upon us as well. Couple that with the incredible Western myth of being self-made or self-reliant, and you got a really rough idol. That idol of comfort and status lures us into these things with deceptive power and ridiculous regularity. It is, always, it is the water we swim in. Giving helps us embrace the grace that topples that idol. So it's a grace to us. It frees us to orient towards true worship of God. And so we can cheer as we cheerfully give and our idols fall. Being freed of the love of money is a true gift of God's grace. And it's not easy. All of this grace to others and grace to us brings us to the kind of final motivation. And it's not even clear to me completely in my head when I read this next passage about all the ways that, that God's grace and his gospel um, uh, permeate the text and the people experiencing this. So I just put the, the last thing you see, the motivating reality is gratitude for the gospel of Jesus. The just gratefulness, i.e. worship. And don't miss out how the passage ends. So starting in 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, your following the ways of Jesus that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they, in their own space and time, are long for you and pray for you because of their surpassing grace upon you. And then he just stops. This is the end of this statement of his little writing about this. And he just has a little worship jig in his, in his office. Thanks be to God for the inexpressible, his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, who is our Lord Jesus, who is the gospel. Do you hear all that? That this willing, deliberate, sacrificial giving is fueled by the gospel of Jesus. It's fueled by worship and gratitude. That's what motivates these kinds of giving, this cheerful giving. That somehow we could become more cheerful in our generosity, more glad to give, when we link it to the fact that Jesus loved us so much that he came down from heaven for us. And we, who betrayed him in his coming, and who squandered the many gifts that we had, he has come for us. Like that. Not good and cleaned up with your budget straight. 
And he showers blessing upon blessing upon us so that we might be a blessing to others. And when he comes and forgives our sins and makes us right with God and the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And then what he does is he actually invites us to his table, into, into fellowship with him forever and ever. Amen. And he lavishes amazing food on us, literally, in the scriptures. That's what he does. This generosity through gratitude bears witness to the gospel of Jesus. It bears witness. It is a testimony. It is a sermon, if you will, because it is about the Father's inexpressible gift of the Son. This is why Paul goes off with this, like, whoever sows sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Whoever does bountifully will reap bountifully. That's not like, oh, you little sowers. It's, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, could you, do you realize this? Get in on the good stuff. That's what he's doing. The, the, you will reap a harvest of bounty as you become a cheerful giver. And it's all about our witness to the world. Your bank ledger is a testimony. So is the churches. It's a testimony on what we value. We just got to ask the question, what are we giving testimony to? It's okay. Look, people use money to show off. That's actually right. But what you going to show off about? What are you showing off to the world? Well, what the scriptures say is that you're just showing off the character of God in all that you have. That's what it is. Remember I told you the story about the kids, the kid in um, East St. Louis who was told to go pick up dinner for their family. And he was, had enough money to get two slices of pizza. And when he was walking home, he came across another home, a homeless family. And he gave one of the slices of pizza. And the uh, educated um, uh, interviewer said, aren't your parents going to be mad at you? And he said, no, Jesus. Jesus tells us when we see someone in need to give. That's the logic of the kingdom. That's all it is. Jesus is my testimony to this. That's what it is. And that we could become, with every nickel we have, whether it's a crypto nickel, they even make crypto nickels. It, it has one purpose, to show off and show out the glory and kindness and mercy and generosity of God. He became poor so that we might become rich, but not rich exactly like the world sees it, but rich in mercy and love with our heads on a swivel to see what God is doing in the world and be happy to give accordingly. You guys, hear me now. This is of the most difficult discipleship you will experience your entire life. both because of the waters we swim in and our own hearts. This isn't easy. I don't have my junk together. Living in this world is a hard thing. And we struggle to manage our resources. Some of us overspend, some of us oversave, some make silly decisions, some of us hoard too much. The beauty of the Bible is this, too, is where the gospel comes in where you can come in broken and bruised by the fall and your own ridiculous decisions. And God is starting to make us into cheerful givers. If talking about finances with someone or even your own self 
is bringing you shame, exposing some guilt, makes you mad. It's okay. Not everybody around here is doing the same thing. If you can find a trustworthy person, talk to them about it. Help them help you if they can. But most of all, turn to Jesus who forgives our sins and who transforms our hearts in these beautiful ways. It's okay. And for those of you who don't have a lot, remember the widow's mite and also remember this church, this church has prepared deliberately, willingly, and sacrificially so that no one in this church goes without the basic essentials in our body. Come, reach out. Reach out to the deacons. They are happy to give because our Lord is happy to give himself to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so generous to us and we are so not good at this stuff. And all the mechanics of our world, the, the, the values, they're just, they're just so many times so countercultural to your kingdom. And it's just so easy. So Lord, make us cheerful givers, happy to give because of your gospel. We pray in your name. Amen.